Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Welcome to SWE Stories, Tales from the Archives. I'm Troy Eller-English, archivist for the Society of Women Engineers. And I'm Ann Prusik, SWE's Director of Editorial and Publications. We recently returned from WE18, where the energy was amazing. Uh, the conference theme was Let's Break Boundaries. What an appropriate theme, and it's also the theme of the entire SWE year. SWE has a tradition of acknowledging women who've broken boundaries through their accomplishments and contributions, starting back in 1952 with the first Achievement Award, which is SWE's highest honor, the Society began recognizing women whose work was at the cutting edge. And this took place frequently ahead of wider recognition from the larger engineering and scientific community. When you look at the history of the Achievement Award, it's a story of astonishing scientific and engineering breakthroughs. Achievement Award recipients have always been innovators working at the leading edge. Yeah, but sometimes women have also performed important work that was either overlooked or forgotten. And sometimes by uncovering the history of one woman or group of women, you find even more. Indeed, we certainly discovered this about five years ago when documentary filmmaker Leanne Erickson did a film called Top Secret Rosies of World War II. We ran an article about it in the conference 2013 issue of the magazine, and we showed the film at We 13 in Baltimore with the director doing a Q&A afterwards. It was really well received. Yeah, I remember the room was packed. Um, people were really fascinated by these women who were hired by the government to calculate ballistics trajectories in Philadelphia during World War II. And their contributions weren't documented, um, but they were critical to the United States and its allies winning the war. There was so much enthusiasm in the audience. Afterward, the director, Leanne Erickson, told us that she'd always puzzled over the lone African-American woman that was in the group, wondering what was her story, but had never been unable to, had never been able to locate her or her family. It was from notes scrawled in pencil on the back of the photo and the help of a forensic genealogist that we'd actually were able to discover quite a bit. We followed this up in the winter issue of SWE magazine with a story called Finding Alice Hall. As it turned out, our SWE magazine writer, Seabright McCabe, was fascinated with this story too. So she enlisted the help of her sister, Melinda Byrne, who was a forensic genealogist. Uh, Melinda describes her work as the discovery of identity through kinship. So by accessing public records and some other sleuthing, she unraveled the story of math prodigy Alice Hall. By this time, Alice, like most of the other top Rosies, had passed on, but her contributions continued long past the war effort. As it turned out, toward the end of World War II, Alice was one of a handful of women selected to be the first programmers of the world's first digital computer, the Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, otherwise known as ENIAC. 
Yeah, in those days, women were actually called computers because they were the ones doing the computations and programming the computers. Yes, that's true. And it's becoming better known thanks to the popular success of Hidden Figures, both the book and the film. Now, regarding Alice, she also had a younger sister named Alma White. And perhaps with her older sister's influence, Alma became a statistician on ENIAC. We were able to talk with family members and obtain old photographs and learn some of the personal history. These were remarkable discoveries, and we detailed them in the winter 2014 issue in this story called Finding Alice Hall, which, by the way, I was very proud we received a national award for that story. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's amazing that a faintly penciled name on the back of an old photograph was the key to putting all, this whole story together. That's exactly right. From that one name and the help of census data and a number of fortunate events, we found Alice Hall and her younger sister, Alma. There were key points in unraveling the story, and if any one of these hadn't happened, we probably would not know about these women. You definitely found the right people at the right place and the right time to uncover their history. Yes. I mean, first, Leanne Erickson was working on a documentary about real estate practices and redlining in Philadelphia when she interviewed twin sisters Dorothy and Shirley Bloomberg. It was toward the end of that interview when it came up that they had worked for the government on a secret project during World War II. So naturally, Leanne was intrigued, which led to her making the film. Well, then I assigned the article about the film and Leanne to Seabright, thinking that it was a good fit. I had no idea then that Seabright's sister had recently finished her term as president of the American Society of Genealogists, or that she taught forensic genealogy at Boston University. I sometimes wonder if we would have discovered all this information had I assigned the initial story to someone else, or if we had decided only to show the film at the conference rather than write about it too. You know, it's a wonderful story of all the stars aligning just right to unveil a woman engineer story that has been for, you know, had been forgotten. Um, but, you know, sometimes the stars don't align by themselves and you have to align them by brute force. So, for example, do you know who was the first woman to receive an engineering PhD in the United States? Uh, that's a good question, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so neither did I when an assistant dean from the Ohio State University School of Engineering asked me in 2014. Uh, he said that a Chinese citizen known in the United States as Ruth Fung received a Ph.D. in engineering in 1931 from OSU. And he wondered if she was the first woman in the United States to receive that degree. And it took me four months to answer that question. So, you know, I did a quick online search and I found that some universities had written about the first woman to receive a doctorate in engineering at their institution, but none of them had claimed to have the first woman engineering PhD in the whole country. Uh, so 
then I turned to the first volume of Margaret Rossiter's excellent three-volume series, Women Scientists in America, Struggles and Strategies to 1940. Well, Dr. Rossiter is probably the foremost scholar on women engineers and scientists in the U.S., so that would be my first place to go. Yeah, she, she literally wrote the book, or three of them, on women in science. So Rossiter had analyzed the 1921 and 1938 editions of the biographical dictionary, American Men of Science, because, of course, back in those years, they assumed it was men. Of course. And Rossiter, yes, <laughs> and Rossiter reported that just three women had received engineering doctorates by 1938. Unfortunately, she didn't report their names or the institutions. And each edition of American Men of Science is way too long for me to read and search through every single name to find the three women. Um, So instead, I did some more searching and I found a dissertation that was submitted by Edna May Turner in 1954 for her Ph.D. in education at New York University. It was titled Education of Women for Engineering in the United States. 1885 to 1952. And that sounded perfect. So uh, I requested it through interlibrary loan, and I was very excited when I received it. And in her dissertation, Turner suggested that there were two women who had received a doctorate in engineering in 1931 or prior. Was Ruth Feng one of them? Well, no, Turner didn't mention Feng at all. Um, So after consulting, you know, I decided to follow up on the woman that Turner did mention. And I consulted with the archivist at the University of Michigan. And it turns out that while Dorothy Brophy Hall was a chemical engineer, and she did receive a doctorate from the University of Michigan in 1920, it technically was in chemistry uh, because the University of Michigan didn't offer PhDs in engineering yet. So On a technicality, Dorothy Brophy Hall is not the first woman in the United States with an engineering doctorate, but you should definitely go read about her on the University of Michigan Chemical Engineering Department's website uh, because she had a long and successful career in industry and in teaching. Uh, So then Turner also suggested that a woman received a doctorate in engineering at MIT the archivist at MIT did discover that a Valerie Schneider from Locker, Texas, received a PhD in chemical engineering in 1931. But, you know, something wasn't quite sitting right with them. They thought that there would have been a lot more fanfare, newspaper articles about, you know, a woman receiving a PhD in engineering. So they did a bit more searching and they discovered that Valerie Schneider was actually a man. Oh, well, we forget that names aren't always an indicator of gender, and that's probably all the more true for names that have fallen out of fashion and whose use has changed over time. Yeah, and, you know, I should know better. My name is Troy, which is normally a male name, and I get mail from Mr. Troy Eller English all the time, so I should have known better. Never assume. (laughs) So, you know, I eliminated the leads from Turner's 
from uh, Turner's dissertation. And as far as I can tell, Ruth Fung became the first woman in the United States with a PhD in engineering when she received her doctorate from The Ohio State University in 1931. And then we forgot about her, in the United States at least. And that's too bad because she had a very distinguished and well-recognized career in China. So what do we really know about her? Well, so in China, her name was Feng Yunhe, and I'll spell that for you, F-E-N-G-Y-U-N-H-E. She was born sometime between 1898 and 1900. Different sources give different dates of birth. Her father was a carpenter, and as a child, she worked as a maid, as a child. Um, However, in 1923, she attended a teacher's college in China, and then she came to the the United States in 1927 to continue her education. Uh, She first attended the University of Michigan, um, but then transferred to the Ohio State University, uh, uh, you know, sparking, I'm sure, a decades-long rivalry. Um, And she received a master's degree from OSU in 1928 in chemical engineering and a PhD in chemical engineering in 1931. And according to a 1930 article that I found in The Lantern, which was a a student uh, uh, newspaper, Uh, that you can find online from OSU's archives. So the article said that uh, Ms. Fung is quite anxious to study cosmetics and their chemical constituents, since there is such a wide variation in coloring, and she hopes to make this a coming developed industry in China. And that's really interesting to me because that is not the direction that her career went in. Well, that makes me wonder if she said that based more on what gender roles and expectations might have been, you know, rather than reflecting her true interests. That's only speculation on my part, of course, but it seems that frequently early women engineers express themselves in more typically feminine ways. Just You know, it definitely, uh, uh, my spidey sense is tingling on that one. <laughs> so... Uh, So she continued her studies in Germany in the mid-1930s, and she successfully extracted rayon fibers from bamboo, rice, and sorghum while she was in Germany. And after that, she dedicated her career to researching the industrial processing of rainy, which is a very strong fiber crop native to China. And it's used in textiles, but also more recently in bioplastics, including in the, uh, the Prius. And so uh, Ruth Feng, or uh, Feng Yunhe, as she was known in China, uh, she returned to China in 1936, and she founded an industrial manufacturing association. She was a government consultant in the textile industry, and she served as deputy director at two chemistry institutes. Well, her personal history takes place with major world events in the backdrop. Imagine being in Germany in the mid-30s with all of the political upheaval and then returning to China. Do we know what happened to her later in life? Well, so politically, she did not fare well during China's Cultural Revolution, and she was uh, labeled a a subversive. 
Um, And so she disappeared for a while, but she did reappear again in the late 1970s and took up her career again. Um, It's a little unclear what exactly happened during, you know, between the, you know, 1950s and the 1970s um, in her life and career. Um, But she received an invention award from China's State Scientific and Technological Commission in 1981. And she passed away in 1988 uh, when she was about 89 years old, depending on, you know, exactly what year she was born. And, you know, the reports differ on that. So Ruth Fung was the first woman to receive a doctorate in engineering in the United States, as far as I can tell. But if anyone comes across an earlier recipient, please do let me know. These are little-known stories of women who broke boundaries, and we're fortunate to discover them. I think it takes dedication and detective work to uncover these early women engineers. Yeah, and it's really important to bring these stories and uh, the stories of these women's careers to light and to recognize their personal achievements. Um, it's important to show that women have been achieving in engineering for a long time. And... Uh, you know, use their stories to inspire women to continue achieving, to be role models for the future women breaking boundaries in their profession. We'll continue researching and writing about women engineers breaking boundaries, both in the magazine and on the podcasts. But it's important to note that it's not always easy to determine specifically who was the first woman to break a boundary and that history can be occluded by definitions. That is definitely true. And we will explore that more in another podcast in a few weeks. Uh, But in the meantime, on behalf of myself, Anne, and everyone at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org.